Today's scripture reading is from Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might and all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, a special thanks to uh, the worship team today and Jeremy introduced himself, but Jeremy and Jennifer Dibler who... Some of you will remember, <clears throat> led worship at Brentwood for years, and then uh, when we launched the Franklin Congregation, uh, it was Jeremy and Jennifer who, who led worship here. Um, it's just a treat, honestly, to have you, and the family as well, and your band, so to speak, with Brian Barefoot back here on the drums and uh, Brian Smith on the bass. You know, they were FFH, if you reach back a little bit in contemporary Christian music. Um, but it's just a joy when, when friends are back around. And so uh, we absolutely love having y'all. And then the guy up here, you would have noticed, was Tim Head. And all of us love Tim and are grateful for his leadership because he followed in, in, in your footsteps, uh, Jeremy and Jennifer, to lead us. So a lot of gratitude this morning. Two weeks ago, our fellowship group kicked off. Um, fellowship groups are small groups here at uh, Fellowship Bible Church. By the way, I, I forget to do this sometimes, but my name's Lloyd Shadrach, and I'm one of the teaching pastors. So just to let you know who's up here speaking, for those of you who are guests, we are one church and two congregations. We have a Franklin congregation, two services here on a weekend. We have three services at our Brentwood congregation. Rob Sweet, our lead pastor, and I do the teaching primarily, and so we go back and forth. So I don't want to forget that. So guests sometimes wonder, well, who's that speaking now? Uh, anyways, I, I've got a fellowship group like all of us, um, and our group got together for the first time this fall, and I asked them this question. I said, how would you like to see God change you, change your heart in the coming year? And I asked them if I could share some of their responses. <clears throat> I won't share names, but here's what came out. I want to to become more obsessed with eternity, to see how I die as important as how I live. I want to be more motivated from within, from within to go after Christ each day. I want a greater understanding of how dependent I am upon God. I want to experience the fullness of God at a more profound level. And then finally, I want to grow in the easier times and not just the difficult times. Now, when I ask our fellowship group, and I do on a weekly basis, you know, toward the end of our time together, I'd say, normally, uh, how, can, how can we pray for each other? Um, that stuff doesn't come out. <laughs> what normally comes out, if I were to ask my group, how can we pray for each other? And, and I'm not throwing my group under the bus. I'm just saying this is how we all kind of function. Stuff that would come out if I asked it that way would have been, um, 
Now I've got an aunt, you know, she's in New York and she's got issues with her health and let's pray for her. Okay, okay well, I got a child at this school and you just come, and really what comes out are the circumstantial events of life that are to be prayed for. And yet, I wanna suggest, and this text is gonna take us here, that our admonition to pray about everything, which is, we need to pray about everything, including our aunts and our children and all, everything in life, that in praying about everything, we can tend to not pray about the most important things. And I wanna suggest Paul in all his prayers in the New Testament, and this one in particular shows us, here's the most important things to be praying for. And as you pray for these most important things, Oh, the other things and the circumstances of life, yes, you can pray for them, but they're within the context of what matters most. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey today. What I know is that we're all in different places. And I know that you've got circumstances in your life, just as I do in mine, that are troubling and hard and difficult, and we're to pray about them. But what I wanna suggest from the scripture is that God is most concerned with our hearts, right? It's where we are as a church. He goes after our hearts, our character, and to shape Christ within us. And this prayer that Paul prays is a heart-changing prayer. I told the group when they were sharing these requests, I said, gosh, you know, everything you're sharing, it's like, this is what Paul's talking about in the text that I'm teaching this week out of Colossians. And you know, now I've taught it at Brentwood and in between then and now, there's just so much more in this prayer. But I can say with conviction, everything they were asking for for prayer about the change of heart, well, it's answered in this prayer that Paul gives us. Now, my goal this morning is to teach you the prayer. And I'm gonna do it in a, in a diagram as, as I think the prayer lays out uh, in the text itself. So it's more, I think it's easier to, maybe remember, and it shows you how the prayer flows and how it fits together. So if you're not there, I wanna invite you to turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter one. We're in verses nine through 12. Emily uh, mentioned our booklets that we, get, we gave to everyone, and if you didn't get one, please grab one on your way out. It's Colossians and Philemon, and we'll teach the two books together. Y'all, we're gonna be in Colossians past Easter, so it's a little book, four chapters, but it, we're gonna be in it a while. We're gonna take our time, verse by verse, going through it. And you'll note it's the ESV text, and then it's a blank page, so you can take notes, and that's what we want you doing. Take notes, draw a picture, doodle, draw lines between the text, et cetera. So everyone at Fellowship, if you're a guest, we'd love for you to have one. Um, we're gonna, we got more on back order, so if you know we run out in the coming weeks, we'll have them and you can get one. Don't feel like, oh, I wasn't here the first few weeks, I missed it. No, we're gonna be in Colossians a long time, so we'll have them back there. If you, if you lose it, then you go to amazon.com, okay, and you can get it that way, but if you, if, you, if, you, if you haven't gotten one or a child hadn't gotten one, we want everyone to have it. Okay, Colossians verses nine through 12. Let's start here. I'm gonna give you an intro first and then we'll get to the verse. Rob introduced the book last week. <clears throat> he took verses one through eight. And what he reminded us is that, that this letter to the Colossians is, is a New Testament letter and it's, it's, it follows the form of Greek letters of the day. 
the author introduces themselves and he mentions, it's Paul along with Timothy writing to the church at Colossae. Now, uh, the, the church at Colossae, <clears throat> Paul had never been there. And so what we will discover later in the letter, but I'm t- we, Rob introduced is that someone that, that Paul probably led to faith in Christ, Epaphras, he goes to this city of Colossae and there he leads other people to faith in Christ. And they lead other people to faith in Christ. And there is in Colossae now a church and we know that Paul and Timothy, that, that, you know, their instructions to churches are, you know, they appoint elders and elders give oversight to the church. And so Epaphras has been at this church. He comes back to Paul, who we believe at this time when this letter was written, written was probably in, uh, in prison in Rome. And Paul gets the report and then he writes a letter to that church. Now, I'm being so fundamental here because I'm telling you, I was in my 20s. You know, I didn't grow up in a Christian home before I knew that the epistles, as you call them in the New Testament, were letters. You know, I I always thought it was, I I just thought it was some holy message. Well, it is, but it's a letter. A man, Paul, an apostle, wrote a letter to a group of believers in Colossae, and and it's the church in Colossae. This is off my notes, but I said it in the first service, so I'll say it in this one. Y'all, we live in a day when, and this is kind of a, a bit of a frustration, I, just, I was gonna say conviction, but it's not really that pure. It's just a frustration for me. And that is this, we live in a day when I've had these conversations constantly. People don't take church seriously. They don't take attending church seriously. Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of a day, and I don't know if it's Nashville or what, but it's just kind of this feeling that I, sometimes I'm talking with people and it's this sense of, uh, you know, where do you go to church? I don't, well, we don't. We, we just, uh, you know, we'll watch online or something. Or, you know, we just have a group of people that we're accountable to and we're the church, whatever. I'm going, no, you're not. No, you're not. That's not the church. Paul wrote to a church, and you know what? When he wrote to that church, he didn't write to a group of people who were just kind of like, you know, got hurt by the church, and so we're just gonna do our own thing. No, he wrote to a church, and, and, and there, were elder, there was elder oversight of that local gathering, and I'm not saying this, you know, to say, you know, to talk about Fellowship Bible Church. I don't care where you go to church, but I'm glad you're here, and may I exhort you, when people talk to you and talk about, we really, really don't go to church, that's unbiblical, that's not what the New Testament calls us to, for our own good and our own growth, okay? So I'm gonna get up my soapbox. He wrote to the church at Colossae. And uh, what he writes is the letter we have, I'm going to just take the first phrase of the letter, or the verse nine, I wanna make a point, and then I'm gonna just diagram the prayer. So follow along in your Bibles. Colossians one, verse nine, Here's where Paul uh, continues his, he's still really in his introduction. Verse nine, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now I want you to think about this. That's why I wanna stop here. Epaphras has come to Paul to say, let me tell you what's going on in the church at Colossae and it's fabulous. 
They are growing in the gospel. Their faith in Christ is you know, growing and bearing fruit and increasing just as it is all around the world. Paul, it's amazing what God is doing in Colossae. And Paul's response is, okay, let me write them. We have not ceased to pray for you. And I'm pausing there to say this. Had Epaphras come to Paul and said, it's a disaster. <laughs> this is, I don't know if it's gonna make it. Then we would think, Paul would say, we need to pray for them. It's fabulous. And Paul says, we need to pray for them. And I'm saying that to say to you and I, you know, as a church, prayer, spirit dependent, and we talk about it as a church, that we're, that, that's reflected, one of the fundamental ways is that our prayers, you don't have to wait for bad news to pray. In fact, let's pray at the good news. And it's a recognition that Paul understands, and they will have problems, by the way, because we're gonna talk about a Colossian heresy that he's gonna deal with. But he knows to preempt it, he's praying for them. And I just wanna encourage us as a body. This is to those of you members at Fellowship. May we be a people who find, who never find a reason to not pray. That in every part of life, our response is let's pray and express our spiritual dependence on God in our prayers. Okay, with that, now let's go through and Paul gives us six very concrete and I think there's a progression to this prayer. I'm not gonna be dogmatic on the progression but I think there's a progression to this prayer that makes some biblical and theological sense. If you've got your little booklet here, I've got mine open and you'll note it'll come up on the screen, but verse nine, he says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Here he goes, asking that, and here's six things he's gonna note, and I'll note them and you'll see them on the outline, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom, excuse me, and understanding. There's the first thing he prays for. And so I'm gonna put it on the board like this and I'm just gonna write the phrases, be filled with knowledge of his will. I want us to understand this is a prayer that Paul's praying for a people in a church and it is, it is a prayer that, that, that can be so fundamental for our praying for a spouse, for a friend, for people we pray for. Someone says, would you pray for me? It's like, you don't even have to tell me what to pray because I have a prayer that I know that matters to pray for you. And the first part of that prayer would be that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And we go, well, that's a, that's a fabulous thing to, to, for people to know, and it is. Now, when we say God's will, we're gonna think about it a little differently. If, I, if, if we were to say, hey, hey, on Wednesday night, we're gonna have a, a, a classroom A is gonna have a, a, a seminar on how to study the Bible, and classroom B is gonna have a seminar in how to know God's will. 
I guarantee you we could put five chairs in A and you'd have to put 20 in B because we'd all, we'd all come wanting to know, I've always wanted to know what God's will. And you know, and when you talk with one another and when you talk to me or a pastoral team member, a lot of what we'll, we'll do with each other is you're wrestling with, I just want to know God's will. Is it, God, is it God's will that I marry this person? Uh, what, what's God's will? Should we move? Is it God's will that we move? Is it God's will we sell the house? Do I buy the car? Which car do we buy? Do we, you know, God's will in those specific things. That, that matters, okay? And there is, there is a God's will in those things. It's not what this text is talking about. What Paul is, is getting at here is be filled with the knowledge of God's will as in God's will for all of redemptive history and purpose. I want you to note as well that it's be filled, which is a passive verb, which means you don't earn or get this or figure this out. It's something done to you. God does this to you for you. When I say redemptive history, what I'm talking about is the be filled, I could say it another way, be filled with the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. For this is God's will for all of creation, you all, for all of creation from beginning to end. This explains the world and everything in it. When you say this, when you see this word be filled, uh, it's not a spatial term like, you know, you got half, you're half full, be filled with the rest, like a cup of water. That's not what it's describing. That's not what it means. You remember in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, and be filled with the spirit. Remember we said that doesn't mean get more of the Holy Spirit. You need to get more of the Holy Spirit. No, it means be controlled by be under the influence, be characterized in every decision of life by the fullness of God's will in redemptive history. Okay, I'm, Lloyd, I'm getting there. Help me a little more. Well, when we understand the fullness of God's story in redemptive history, you and I understand that we are not here by accident, that there was no big bang and we evolved to the creatures we are now. No, we understand the story of the Bible is that there's a personal God who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And he put a man and a woman in relationship with him and each other, and the man and woman chose rebellion. They said, we're gonna, no, we don't trust God, we don't trust your word, and all of humanity has been separated from God from that moment, and we're all born separated from God and from each other, and as we like to say at fellowship, from ourselves, because our heart is blown apart. And the whole story of the Bible is God's promise to bring us back together with him, each other, and ourselves. And the story of the nation of Israel is a picture of how do you relate to God? And in the fullness of time, we know that there was a God-man, Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary who lived the perfect life, who died the death we all deserved. He was buried and he rose again. And all who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, what you did, you did for me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins, were buried and raised again. Then we are forgiven of all of our sins in Christ. We're clothed with his righteousness. We're indwelt by the spirit. And then Jesus, before he left this planet, he said, I'm coming back. And Revelation reminds us that he's coming back, the last book of the Bible. And when he does, he's gonna set everything right. 
Lloyd, what does that have to do with God's specific will and whether I should marry this person or which school I should go to? Everything, everything, when you are filled with the knowledge of God's will. Because when we understand and are convinced of this story and that when you and I put our faith in Christ, you see, we join that story And as a part of that story, as surely as Jesus came, so surely he will come back again. And surely every part of our life, God works for his glory and our good. And you and I are on this planet because God has a purpose for us. And that purpose is to join him in his story to help others come to faith and life in Jesus and to grow in that life so that they can help others come to faith and life in Jesus and they can grow in that life and God is glorified and you and I as redeemed people find wholehearted life. So the question you see of God's will and the little, I say the little because everything matters, should we, should we sell the car and buy the new one? You know, I, I hope you pray about these things because every little thing matters. You go, well, what does that have to do with God's will? Here's what it has to do with God's will. Every decision in life can flow through this grid. Will it enable me or us to make Christ more fully known and God's glory more fully revealed. I'll say it another way. Every decision in life, you could just, you know, uh, which school do I go to? I'm praying, which, you know, what do you want, where do you want to go? But ultimately it's, boy, in the choice of where I'm going, do I believe that this choice is gonna enable me to help others know Christ and glorify God more. That's the fundamental purpose of life. And you say, well, what does that have to do with buying a car? Everything, because you're buying that car with God's money. He owns it all. You're a stewardship of your life. Where are you gonna put your resources? What does that have to do with where I go to school? Everything, God has a plan. He's got works, we're gonna talk about it in a moment. Does this make sense? I'm telling you, when, you when, we, when we live in God's story and we're filled with the knowledge of God's whole redemptive purpose, then we look at every event in our life and we recognize, you know what? God's got a hand in this. God's got a purpose in this. And I keep my bracelet on my wrist, which says Igbok, it's gonna be okay, because I need to remind myself that even in this, it's gonna be okay. How do I know it's gonna be okay? Because God has a purpose from before time began until time ends, and I'm a part of it. And he will finish that purpose. This is gonna make me go over a little, but I must say it. In the book of Acts, chapter four, don't go there. When the, I think it's Peter and John are released and told don't preach the gospel anymore because they they had them um, locked up. They go and they go to their friends and they pray. Can I tell you the, the essence of their prayer after they get out of prison? Here's the essence of the prayer, and you can read it. They say, oh God, you created the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And when the kings and rulers of this world came against your anointed, 
they did only that which you predetermined to occur. And I go, wow. Where did they, they had just been in jail. They didn't look at it and go, boy, something messed up. We're in trouble now. This is gonna be. No, they just stood back and said, God, your story is the story of the universe and we're a part of it and kings and rulers can't even stop you. They, they're just doing what you predetermined to occur. We're not robots in this story, men and women. Our choices matter. But God is in control. You know, you read, do you read the, I don't know, you read the New York Times, read the papers, you know, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, are we going to war in Iran? Are we going to, let me tell you something. Kings and rulers of this world are, I don't want you to be too strong, like they're nothing. I just want you to, I just want you to know, you can have hope if you're filled with the knowledge of God's will. Listen, whatever happens in this world and rulers and presidents and kings and emperors, they cannot stop God's will. They can't, they won't. And man, that just makes me go, yeah, you know, and I'm a part of it. There's five other parts of the prayer that I'm gonna have to hit really fast, but you will, you will, you will get it as we go. Be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Note he goes on to say, so that you may, you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so I want you to see it go like this. He goes over here and now we are at, and I'm just abbreviating this, walk in a worthy manner. One quick word about this, worthy. It's the word axios in the Greek, and it means of equal weight. What do you mean of equal weight? Well, think about this. They had scales, and so when something was worthy, it was of equal or appropriate weight. So you had something, the scales, you know, like this, and you put something on this side, and you wanna know if this thing is worthy of this thing, we'll put it on the scale and see. It is worthy of what's on this side. Does that make sense? But what does he say? That you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, watch the scale. Put Jesus' life on this side. Put your life on this side. Right, that's what he's saying. That, you, that your life would be worthy of the life of Jesus. Can anybody do that? Is anyone's life worthy of the life of Jesus? You gotta be careful how you answer this. No, you can't do it, but in the power of the Spirit, you can, in fact, you must, or why would Paul even pray it? Paul's, Paul's not gonna pray something that can't happen. No, so he says, look, may you live a life worth, may you live a life that has the weight of Jesus's life. And if you look at yourself and you go, well, there's no way we can do that. Here's what you can't do. You can't live a life and die for someone else's sin. That's not what he's talking about. But you and I can live a life in the power of the Holy Spirit such that we have an influence in this world that is of the weight of Jesus. And is that not what he means even when he says in uh, John 14, 12, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because, go, because I go to the Father. You see, that's, 
Jesus had told his disciples, you're gonna, you, look, you're gonna live a life of weight. You're gonna live a life of weight because you trust in me and it'll be even greater than I did. Not greater in terms of satisfying atonement, but, but, but greater in that we'll have a greater, further, deeper, farther impact than Jesus because the Holy Spirit lives in us to reproduce the life of Christ through us. Walk in a worthy manner and then note where he goes and that is bearing fruit. So now I'm at the third point of this prayer, bearing fruit. Remember when Rob walked us through this, he drew a picture of a tree and I've got it in mine and if it's up on the screen, you'll see it. And he had us draw that because that's the gospel. The seed of the gospel comes up into a tree and the gospel bears fruit. That's your life and mine in Christ. When a tree bears fruit, it doesn't bear fruit for itself. It bears fruit for others. That is the Christian life. Our salvation in Christ is not just for us. If it Think about it, if it were, you would be saved and you would go to heaven. But no, you're on this planet, you and I are still for however long we have to help others, to, to be fruit for others, to help others come to faith in Christ and grow in Christ. That makes sense? So think about this prayer. May uh, God, may they be filled with the knowledge of your will so that they would live a weighty life and that weighty life will be that they will be bearing fruit. The, a Christian will be bearing fruit for the good of others. He goes on and says, fourth point, and he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. Contextually, we'll keep this in mind, Paul is, he says this for a reason and he uses this word knowledge, epignosis, very specifically for the Hebrew audience, the Jewish audience, because a little later he's gonna talk about a heresy, the, the Colossians heresy they call it, and it has to do with this knowledge. And so he's coming against a Greek understanding of knowledge, which is, Knowledge is knowing intellectually. It, it, it's, a, it's an intellectual, cerebral, mental knowing. And for the Hebrew, and what we know biblically is that epinosis, growing in the knowledge of God, is a knowing that is inseparable from a doing. So that to the Hebrew mind, to know Okay, to know something is to do something with that knowledge. That knowledge shapes my living and my life. It's the same thought we went through in James again where we said faith is trust and works and you can't separate the two. This is what he's getting at here to the Colossians. Think about the prayer. Pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of God so that they may live a weighty life, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. When you and I, okay, in the fullness of the Spirit, 
are bearing fruit. This is not something you go, I need to make fruit. No, this is something the Spirit does in you because you trust in the Spirit. You, you're, you're dependent upon the Spirit who lives in you to reproduce the life of Christ in you. And you take steps of faith resting in the Spirit. And then God bears fruit through you. And do you know when God's bearing fruit through you, you know what, you know what happens in your heart? You increase in your experience of who God is and all he is. There is a knowing that you experience that is an, I know God because I'm experiencing God because I'm living what God invites me to trust him for. Does that make sense? Paul's praying about the things that matter most. He's praying about the heart. Bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, and then, not surprisingly, flip the page if you're in your booklet. Fifth, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So note where the prayer goes. Now he prays that they would be strengthened. going to write, be strengthened. Now, the way he says it in the text is important. Be strengthened with all power. And then he says, according to his glorious might. Y'all, when I asked the question earlier, can anyone live a life that's weighty as Christ? And, And some said, no, that's the right answer. No, you can't. But yes, you can in the fullness of God's spirit. And what he's describing here is the power of God in the believer by the very person of the Holy Spirit. It, is, it requires God's strength to live out this prayer. Notice he says, according to, he doesn't say, may you be strengthened by his glorious might, but he says, according to his glorious might. If uh, Jeff Bezos were to say to you, hey, I wanna, I want, to give you, I want to give you a financial gift by uh, my financial resources. He, he may give you $10 or he may give you $10 million. But if, but if he said, uh, I'm going to give you a financial gift according to my financial resources. I'm, honestly, if he gave you less than $5 billion, it wouldn't be a true statement. Because think about it. He says, I'm gonna give it to you according to, in, in relation to how much I have. So Paul prays that Christians would be strengthened according to God's glorious might. How much might does God have? Seriously, unlimited power and might. And Paul's prayer is that we would be strengthened according to the unlimited power of God. Ephesians talks about it's the power of God that raised Christ from the dead. That's you and I as Christians today experiencing that power. Now note he says that he's praying that power so that we will endure and be patient. I find this fascinating. Now, endure is that familiar Greek word. Again, we were in James, and it's that 
two word hupomeno, to remain under. So in our struggles and, and, and uh, trials, we're to remain under them because under them is in the power of God's spirit, we, we experience growth and the shaping of our character in trials and tribulations and challenges. Hupomeno, remain under. So you need the unlimited power of God to remain under the difficult circumstances of life, which tells you, you know, difficult circumstances are a normal part of the Christian life. That word patience <coughs> is a different word. And that is, and it's translated usually, long suffering. And that's the idea of a fuse. You know, if you had a fuse on a stick of dynamite and you lit it, <clears throat> and rather than the fuse going, it would be going, because the point at which you are prompted to anger, say, you've got such a long fuse that your anger, you don't strike out at the person because you're long suffering in the, in the power of the spirit, you you don't knock him in the face. So think about this. He says, may you be strengthened according to God's unlimited power <clears throat> so that you can endure difficult circumstances and difficult people. <laughs> I think that's the world. <laughs> think about it. There, that's it. And, and not to, you know, I do believe God does miracles. God can heal people. God can do the miraculous. And we talk about signs and wonders, you know, in the Bible. I'm not throwing a, you know, a charismatic church or any, any beliefs under the table in this when I say this. But let us not, let us note that Paul himself, who raised people from the dead, who healed people physically, when he prayed for the unlimited power of God in God's people, he didn't say so that you can raise people from the dead or that you can heal people. And again, I'm all for it and God can do it. But isn't it fascinating that he prays for that kind of power so you can endure difficult circumstances and difficult people? Wow. Well, that's a heart prayer. And in that, we're praying for what matters most. And then he ends this prayer, this part of the prayer, and he says this, note verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Next week, Rob is gonna talk about light and darkness. He's just gonna take those two verses because it's so fundamental to our faith. It'll be amazing as we just dive into that. But for now, let me simply say this. The prayer moves from be strengthened to giving thanks. When you read your, your, your passage in the, our booklet, it's the ESV translation. And it says, you know, if, you, if you'll note, it says, uh, verse 11, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So it's patience with joy. But if you're in the NIV, which is really the most popular translation out there, it's a little bit more of a, a slightly paraphrase, but you may be reading that and it says joyously or it says joyfully giving thanks. So you've got this word joy or joyful. Does it go with patience with joy or does it go with joyfully giving thanks? Which does it go with? Yeah, both. You know, it's really important to note, you know, 
Think about all these translation committees, 50 scholars top in the world, 50 scholars top in the world, and they put it on either side. <laughs> so like, as if I'm gonna tell you what the dogmatic answer is. I don't think so. But it tells us it could go both ways. I wanna suggest it goes, as the ESV, joyously giving thanks. Why? Because note, uh, note how the reasoning goes joyously giving thanks that you have been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints, i.e., give thanks and that thanks will be full of joy because God has done something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. He's qualified you for the inheritance of, let's just, of, of all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. How, how did God do that? By the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You don't earn an inheritance you know, you don't snake your way into an inheritance. An inheritance is given and then it's received. You're either a son or daughter, the inheritance is yours, or you're not and you don't get the inheritance. This is nothing really less than you and I saying, God, thank you that you saved me. And when we stop and go, okay, well, I'm gonna say that, uh, I think I'm gonna say that with joy. God, thank you that you saved me because I could never save myself. And so Paul's prayer is the prayer to pray for your family, your child in school, your friends, your fellowship group. You know, I told, you know, since... uh, in teaching this passage, I've, I've just, I've got a routine in my prayers and whatnot, but I said, you know, I'm gonna pray Paul's prayer for my family while we're in this passage. And so that's what I've been doing. And, and, it, and it goes like this. Now, is, that's, not every, that's not the only things you should pray. There's other things to pray, right? But what I'm saying is this is, let this be the priority of our prayers because this is the prayer for God to change our hearts. And so this is how I've been praying this this week, and this is, you know, let you into my time when I'm praying, whether I'm walking or sitting in a car or whatever, if I'm praying, and I've prayed it this way this week, Lord, I'm praying for Lisa, praying for Darden, praying for Sal, Susan, and I'm praying for Sally. And my prayer is that you, that you, oh God, would fill them with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that they would be they would know the greater story and that you're in control so that they would, they would each one live a weighty life right where you put them, a life that matters. And they would bear fruit, God, in every good work that you have planned and purpose for each one of them. And in that bearing of fruit, they would increase and they would come to know you more fully. Not just know you in their head, but, but like experience you in their whole heart, thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices. That, that their heart would, would experience an increasing knowing of who you are. And God, that won't happen apart from your power. And so I pray that they would be strengthened according to your glorious 
might that your spirit in them would empower them such that in their world right now, there are circumstances that are difficult. May they remain under that in your strength to shape Christ in them and with people and friends and roommates, whoever. Oh God, may they be patient by the strength of your spirit and would they today with great joy say thank you to you. Thank you to you, Father, for saving them. That's how we pray this prayer. And I assure you, there's other things I'll pray for my wife and my kids, but it's, I'm convicted is is this my priority prayer for my wife and my kids? Such that the other things I pray for, and there's stuff, it flows out of that. Oh, that God would change us, people. Change us as a community of faith. And that he would change us in these ways, in our hearts. Now, I'm gonna ask the ushers to get ready because we're, we're coming to the table because the table is that place each week where we remind ourselves, God, you saved me from an eternity apart from you, from my own selfishness, from my sin. You saved me, God, by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's at the table taking the bread and the cup that we are reminded of that and how we need that moment by moment. If you have placed your faith in Christ, please come to the table and y'all can start passing the elements. Take the bread, take the cup, symbolic of his life and his, his death and resurrection and, and hold them. We're gonna take them together in a moment. If you've not placed your faith in Christ, I'm so glad you're here. Believe right now. You can believe in this moment and you can tell God, I do believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and he rose again and Jesus, you did it for me. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And you can take the bread and cup with us today. As you hold the bread and cup, I wanna remind us of a few things. And it ties to our prayer which brings us all the way back around to Thanksgiving. Some of you come from traditions where the, um, the Lord's table was called the Eucharist. Uh, it's a Greek word and, and, and it's a Greek word that means Thanksgiving. So, so it's appropriate, you know, you come to the Thanksgiving, the Eucharist. Well, the word comes from the Gospels and 1 Corinthians when the Lord's table is instituted and, and the text itself says, and giving thanks, he broke. And giving thanks, he gave. That's the Greek word, eucharisto. And so for some traditions, the Lord's table is the thanksgiving. That's a very rich and appropriate calling of this table. And so with this bread and cup, it is the core of our thanksgiving, is it not? I've often looked at this prayer and I've been around it now for two weeks and I go, well, where does the prayer begin? 
Think about this. Does the prayer begin here? God, I pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of your will. Well, yeah, that's where it seems to start. But then, I don't know, you look at the text, you don't have to look here, but I just want you to think about this. Verse three of Colossians one. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And it makes me kind of go, well, wait, wait, maybe the prayer, I don't know. I wonder if the prayer doesn't start here. It's fascinating when you read Colossians, y'all, how many times Paul says, give thanks. Just something to ponder. That if your prayer life is kind of like, you know, I just need to pray more, I don't pray enough. Well, maybe you might want to stop and say, how's my, how's my thanksgiving? So when our hearts are in a posture of gratitude, I, I think, it, it, in a, this don't sound weird, but it's like it unlocks our prayers. Because I'm in a posture of gratitude. Paul was in a great posture of gratitude when he launched into this prayer for their hearts. Let me ask you to stand, please. We're gonna take this together and here's how we're gonna do this. You know, we're remind, we're te- we are teaching ourselves because I've gotta relearn this myself that the Lord's table is a joyful occasion. Remember this? Remember when we went through our series on the table and, and we talked about that, you know, we can come to the table somber, but no, we come to the table with, it's with joy we come to this table. And even when we don't feel qualified to come to the table, do you understand more than ever, run to the table, you know, to confess your sins, to say, God, you've forgiven me. And so we're learning to move from more of the somber taking of the table to the joy of the table. And so I want you to turn to a few people nearby, it could be your kids, your family, or just turn to a few people around and, and with the table, with the bread and the cup in your hand, you're, you're just gonna say to them, thank God he saved me. <laughs> and they're gonna say, thank God he saved me. And I will say that with joy. And I want you to say that with joy to a few people and then take the bread and take the cup and we'll express that gratitude together. Turn to someone nearby and say, thank God he saved me. I thank God he saved me.